Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. Have you ever felt a knife cut through human flesh and scrape the bone beneath? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Be my victim. My name is Austin Torres, and welcome to the Would You Die podcast, the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Today, I'm joined by my dear friend and fellow Spartan Trumpet, the second Spartan Trumpet on the show. Well, actually, the third. I, I guess I'm the, I've always the Spartan Trumpet. So, um, yeah, I messed that up. The third Spartan Trumpet, if you count yours truly, my friend, Lisa Petersmark. Hi, it's good to be here. It's great to have you. Today, we're taking a journey through the horror history of satanic panic. That's right. This episode's about to be as, like, it's going to be metal as fuck. <laughs> yes, definitely. But before you uh, take, take us on this uh, blast through the past, what is kind of like your relationship with horror movies? Do you like them? I, I do. So my first horror movie I watched when I was, like, way too young, it was The Ring. My dad was not super monitoring the TV. So that pretty much put me off from watching horror movies again, like until college, um, because I, yeah, I was just terrified of that movie. I had nightmares for like a year after I saw it. <laughs> but then once I got to college, I met, you know, I met you and I met a bunch of other people who really liked horror movies and were, you know, kind of like pushing me to give it a second chance. So I think the first horror movie if you even want to count this movie because I don't know if it counts well I think it does but it's more of a horror parody um that we started with was uh Cabin in the Woods <laughs> oh that counts that yeah. counts <laughs> yeah but uh then you know I just that kind of opened up the gateway to like a bunch of different horror movies and now I would say it's definitely one of my favorite genres I think probably my favorite horror movies are like The Shining and Midsummer good variety there but yeah I really I really love horror movies I love horror comedies in particular because I think there's something so cool about having a movie that can both like terrify you and make you laugh and I I, I love horror comedies too because now this is an original thought to me I've heard like Joe Dante and John Landis say what I'm about to say but horror and comedy are really close together they're the two most reactive our audience reaction based genres. And I feel like those are the best ones to like watch in a theater with a full audience that and um, superhero movies. I agree. Even just like watching those types of movies with friends is so much more fun than so much more fulfilling than watching them on your own. Um, this is a little like tidbit into the personal life of Austin Torres for those of uh -oh. you listening. <laughs> But a few weeks ago, we watched Scream together with like a bunch of our friends. And it was so fun because it was like hearing everybody else's reactions in real time is so much more fulfilling than just like sitting alone and like experiencing that by yourself. This could easily turn into a Scream episode if we're not careful. <laughs> we're uh, not careful. I, I'm sure everyone by now knows how much I love Scream. And Lisa does too. <laughs> it's true, I do. But it was one of our friends like he's never seen scream and i was like and we were like okay this we got to watch scream we have it's to, yeah it's one of those 
especially the first one, but every film in that franchise is perfect for like watching with friends. Yeah, definitely. The first one is just such a quintessential because it's like, I'm not the movie person. So like cut me (laughs) off at any point, but like, I don't necessarily know if it's reached like the notoriety of like the Halloween movies or like Nightmare on Elm Street, but like Ghostface is still like a very, very iconic horror movie villain. And I feel like he's one of those ones that it's like, okay, if you want to say that you are like well-versed in horror movies, you probably should watch Scream. (laughs) Well, I would kind of, I mean, it's all based on perception, right? And we all kind of perceive, oh, I'm getting like college and academic now. But uh, (laughs) we all get, we all perceive things in a different way. So I, me personally, I feel like Michael Myers is probably the top dog when it comes to slashers. And with Jason and Freddie rounding out the top three. But I think you could argue that Ghostface, that mask, is the most famous mask. That's probably true, yeah. Um, Even if you don't know, like, who Ghostface is or you don't know Scream, like, you see that in every Halloween store every single yeah. year, no matter what. If you go outside and you watch people trick-or-treating on Halloween, I guarantee you, you see a bunch of ghost faces. It's true. It helps that it's a really easy costume to do, (laughs) but you, but you see a bunch of ghost faces and, and I think scary movie really solidified ghost face as being just transcending horror in the same way that Michael Myers and Jason and Freddie does. So yeah, I would say scream is up because even if people don't know ghost face, I feel like a lot of people be like, Hey, yo, it's scream. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, like you were saying it, it transcends horror. And I think that's kind of, very like I'm trying to think of the word very like reminiscent of kind of the subject of our podcast today is these things that like transcend their genre and kind of enter into pop culture rather than just like a subculture of like horror or you know whatever you may be talking about because a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about today are very like pop culture heavy because that's what satanic panic was satanic panic was kind of this like mainstream you know fear of these like pop culture things phenomenon well that was an uh, that was an amazing transition so do you just want to jump right into it (laughs) sure yeah (laughs) okay so uh the reason that i wanted to come on and talk about satanic panic is because we are both metal fans we're both um you know Mm -hmm. into rock especially um for me of the 70s and 80s genre um, and so I was actually like a really late comer to the metal like genre, I guess, um, when I was about 18 or 19 is when I started to get into it once I hit college. And I came from like a very, very conservative Christian background. So like the first thing that I kind of wondered about was like, why do all of these bands use these like weird, like devil imagery? Why does everybody say they're bad? So that's when I started to kind of research into Satanic Panic and learn about it, I guess. Uh, because, you know, I obviously didn't really understand why they were doing this and learned as I got into this phenomenon and learned about the origins and all of that. Yeah, that's kind of how this conversation came about. I'm going to take us on a little side adventure real quick because you accurately described us as metalheads and it wasn't, I was today years old when I realized I may (laughs) in fact be a metalhead and I never thought about it. Yeah, um, well, I, <laughs> I think I like enough of the bands. 
Yeah, I think you do. Here's the thing is I think that there's this like very stereotypical idea of what a metalhead has to look like. And I don't look like that. And you don't look like that. I mean, I guess I have the long hair, but like, that's about it. Um, And so, yeah, like, but this is like kind of a conversation that I had with myself like a few years ago also about, oh, I could consider myself that. That's true. (laughs) Even though I don't look like that. I guess. I wear enough horror shirts to at least be metal adjacent. (laughs) Exactly. Which, you know what, is a great segue into the reason that I think that this topic is perfect for your podcast. And that is because there is a very reciprocal relationship between metal music and horror. They borrow each other's aesthetics all the time. And it's crazy to see. Um, Like, you know, even if we're going back to like the foundations of metal, Black Sabbath, right? everyone kind of agrees that Black Sabbath like started metal. And Black Sabbath was originally, I don't know if you know this, named the Polka Tulpa Blues Band, (laughs) Uh, which, you know, great name. Don't necessarily know if they would be known as the foundation of heavy metal if they were called the Polka Tulpa Blues Band. But (laughs) that's that. Um, Until they took inspiration from the 1963 Boris Karloff film Black Sabbath. And that's how they got their name. So even just like the origins of metal really came from the horror genre in that way, which I think is really cool. And I'm about to get a little music nerdy for everyone here. And you probably already know this, but in addition to being inspired by that film, the title song of their self-titled album, Black Sabbath on the album Black Sabbath by the band Black Sabbath, (laughs) um, that song has a interval in it which is called the devil's tritone yeah i didn't realize the devil's tritone was in that uh song but that makes sense (laughs) it's like the riff yeah (laughs) and and it's like something you don't think about until someone points it out and you're like oh it's there (laughs) and it's funny because when i was learning how to play guitar a bunch of years ago black sabbath was one of my favorite bands growing up and um, because I'm a huge nerd everyone knows this my mom got me into metal by getting me into Black Sabbath because she showed me the song Iron Man and I liked Iron Man the superhero and this was before the movie came out that's how nerdy I was (laughs) and you know and then many many years later in a tribute to your nerdiness we did the Marvel show where we played (laughs) the Iron Man riff with the Spartan marching band Hashtag throwback. Full <laughs> circle, man. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I just have to say this side thing real quick while I'm thinking about it. Marvel's finally caught up to me. What do you mean? Like, I used to be that jackass that knew the heroes before everyone else did. So people are oh. like, who's the Guardians of the Galaxy? And I'm like, Ayo, that team with the raccoon. I like the talking tree. Oh, let's go. So I knew who the Guardians were. I knew who like a lot of, I knew who um, Ultron was and um, Thanos. I didn't know too much about Thanos, but I did know Thanos. But I I knew what a lot of the MCU was pulling from. And Mm -hmm. then with phase four, we're getting into like things that I don't know. Yeah, same. And it's like America Chavez is completely new to me. Could be because I haven't been caught up and she's a recent character but still completely new i'm gonna butcher his name because i don't know how to say it but shang chi i never heard of him before this movie (laughs) 
I had heard of Shang-Chi, but I hadn't heard of America Chavez. I didn't know, I like knew who Miss Marvel was, but like, like I'd heard that name, but I had no idea. Um, I was not familiar with the Eternals at all. And I was particularly- Oh, I forgot about the Eternals. I was particularly not aware of Thanos' brother, Harry Styles, but like, <laughs> yeah. So I'm with you on that. Yeah, I definitely was like more of a Marvel nerd when I was like, yeah, I know who Captain America's best friend is. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting to see the state of the Marvel. I personally love how Taika Waititi made Thor Thor rock and roll. Yeah, I think that the I love when people say the Taikaification of the Thor movies. I love that phrase. <laughs> but yeah, I think that like I haven't seen Love and Thunder yet, but um, the Thor Ragnarok was just such a like refreshing movie, and like all of the you know the rock in the background and like. Was it Immigrant Song that was in that one? Yeah, it yeah. was some, some the, Zeppelin, man. Scene. Like, that was good. That was so good. Oh, man. Well, Zeppelin's a great... Um, that song, Immigrant Song, is like the best song for Thor. A lot of people yeah. think, it's Thunderstruck. No, no, it's not. Storm can have Thunderstruck. I love that. I would love em- a Storm Emperor- movie with that as the central motif, by the way. Yeah, Genius. oh, me too. <laughs> me too. But like, but Immigrant Song has that Norse... Because yeah. Zeppelin is a bunch of nerds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. And why, why I'm kind of like focusing on Zeppelin for a second is because that's our pathway back to satanic panic because a stairway to heaven. I know uh-huh. that much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Zeppelin had like this weird thing. I actually haven't gotten too much into it, but like with Anton LaVey, who founded the satanic, the Church of Satan in the 70s, they had the weird thing in the 70s is what I mean. And yeah, like the the song Stairway to Heaven being like this juxtaposition of like this beautiful, like melodic guitar riff, um, you know, talking about this stairway and then like jumping into this like giant like rock, you know, melody at the end is, is a really interesting like it was kind of an interest. It was like an interesting experiment at the time. Like obviously all of that imagery as well as like the motifs like musically that they were bringing in, very controversial, both like in the music community among people who didn't care about good Christian values and then people who did care about good Christian (laughs) values. Um, But like, obviously it worked out for them because that's genuinely one of the most iconic songs of all time. So yeah. So I guess segueing back to this metal horror, satanic panic nonsense, one of my favorite things to talk about is the movie Trick or Treat, which I don't know if you've ever seen. Not the 2007 version, the 1986 version. This movie is honestly genuinely like one of the best horror comedies in my humble opinion. It's like, and by that, I mean like, don't come for me film nerds because it's not good, but like it (laughs) is hilarious and it's very 80s camp. So if that's what you're looking for, you need to watch it. It's basically about this like high school kid, his name is Eddie, He is, like, devastated that, like, his hero, this heavy metal guy, like, dies. So he's playing his record to fall asleep. And here's something weird. So he plays it backwards, which, as we all know, is the very classic, like, you play the record backwards, they're going to tell you to kill Satan. Like, that's the stereotype. So he plays the record backwards. And his hero speaks to him from beyond the grave and tells him, like, okay, here's how you get revenge on all your bullies. And then eventually he starts to get, like, more sinister and like 
you know, talks about, oh, like you need to, you know, play my record at the school dance. So he, of course, like does. Um, and then he plays it and Sammy, Sammy Kerr, Sammy Carr, I can't remember the name of the rocker. Um, this heavy metal guy like jumps out of an amp and starts killing people. Amazing. And the best part about this movie is that Gene Simmons is in it. He plays this radio DJ who like gives him the record. And then Ozzy Osbourne plays this televangelist who shows up randomly and is like on the TV talking about how heavy metal is going to like burn your soul and like all of these things. And it's the funniest thing ever. And like nobody ever talks about this movie and it drives me crazy. But anyway, I had to mention it because we're talking about it. Why is it called Trick or Treat? I have no idea. Oh, well, it's a, it takes place at Halloween. He dies like right before Halloween. And then I think the dance either happens on Halloween or they were going to play the record on the radio at Halloween. It's very loosely like based on trick or treat. I have no idea why it's actually called that. But. I would have called it the boy who listened to the rock record and then was told to do bad things. And then the bad person came out the bad thing and then he did the bad things. Yeah, that would have been a better name for it, I think. <laughs> I think, well, I Trademarked. personally, the the British title of it is Death at 33 RPM, which is a much better title because like 33 RPM is revolutions per minute of record. Right. Like, that is such a better title. No, I agree. I agree. And the, I would have called it, I would have called it either that or I would have called it the name of the record, which is Songs in the Key of Death. That's cool. That's metal. Because that's, that's a. That's like a play on the Stevie Wonder record, right? Yeah. Because uh, he has one, Songs in the Key of Life. So that's mm-hmm. funny. <clears throat> it's hilarious. Yeah. I don't know what I was going to say. Go <laughs> As we're like moving forward, I mentioned that I started to learn about Satanic Panic because of metal music. And then to out myself as even more of a loser, um, when I was about 20 years old, I started to get into Dungeons and Dragons. Um And when I started to get into Dungeons and Dragons, because one of our mutual friends got me into it, I called my mom and I was really excited to tell her. I was like, I'm getting like into this new game. Like, I'm so excited. I don't know if you've heard of it, mom. It's called Dungeons and Dragons. She, my mom is not a, well, I won't say she's not a reactionary woman, but she's not like a, you can't listen to that devil music type of person. So like when she panicked a little bit about me getting into Dungeons and Dragons, I was like, I don't understand where this is coming from. <laughs> so I started to do some more research and I started to get into the origins of Satanic Panic and really where it came from. Obviously, you cannot pinpoint like one event or one thing on Satanic Panic. Um, you know, it kind of had been on the rise for decades, like even in the 60s with the hippies and their loose morals, and then in the 70s with Zeppelin and Anton LaVey and all of that. But it really came to a head in the 80s. And I kind of wanted to know why that happened. Like what what happened in the 80s that made it different, that made all of these, like, you know, bands started using this imagery and horror movies start coming out of the woodwork and people hating D&D. I had no idea. So I wanted to do some research. And basically it came down to kind of like three main events or like subsets. Um, One of them, which I'm not going to get too into um, because I find the whole situation pretty gross. Um, This daycare owner was accused of molesting a bunch of children. There was no evidence for this. He ended up being acquitted years later. 
but it was just like a really messy and terrible, uh, you know, trial. Um, and I think this might be one of the first times that in history that like people were talking about child abuse in the mainstream, which is part of why I personally believe satanic panic became a thing because I think people wanted something to blame for all of these terrible things happening. And so can't blame yourself and you can't blame the people around you and you can't blame, you know, whatever you blame the devil. Right. So I think that's kind of where this started to come from. So the other big thing that kind of one of the other big things that kind of triggered um, satanic panic in the early 80s was this book Michelle remembers, which this book is about um, this girl's torture at the hands of a satanic cult. It was published in 1980, and uh, it was really shady from the beginning. It was co-written by Michelle herself, this girl, and her psychologist. However, as you read through the book, you find out that they recovered these memories via hypnosis, and it was actually, like, used as a, you know, textbook for psychologists to kind of, like, use hypnosis as a treatment until basically her father came forward and said, hey, none of this is true and I can prove it. And also, Michelle and this uh, psychologist both divorced their spouses to marry each other, so probably the ethics there aren't great. And so, like, yeah, then it became, like, discredited. However, the article that was published that did all of this investigative journalism into this book didn't get very popular. So this book was actually regarded as like a tome for research into satanic cults until like the mid 80s. That was finally like discredited in the mainstream, which is kind of dangerous, but another reason that this spread. And then this leads us to James Dallas Ed Egbert III, who was a student at Michigan State University, where you and I both attended. Go green. Um, go white. This is not the story <laughs> to advertise that. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, but, Sorry, Sparty. <laughs> but in 1979, uh, James Dallas Egbert um, attended MSU. Um, he was a child prodigy. He was a computer science major at the age of 16. So oh, you wow. can imagine the kind of, you know, pressure that this kid was under to perform well, to be successful academically. Especially you know, he, at that time in the 80s, where a lot of people are like, you mean the box can tell me the numbers? Yeah, exactly. Like he was in this, you know, very cutting edge field at the time. Yeah. Learning all of this stuff. So he's under an immense amount of pressure. So on August 15th, of 1979, he left a suicide note in his dorm room and he just went. So it was suspected that he was grappling possibly with his sexuality. He was definitely grappling with drug use and obviously pressure from the school and his parents to perform well. So, you know, nobody could find him. So eventually the parents uh, hired William Deere, who was a private investigator. Somehow, William Deere, if you read his book, he very much had like one of those giant murder boards with like red string and like tacks all over the place trying to solve this thing. He found out that Egbert had access to the steam tunnels underneath the campus. They run, you know, all over campus. Nobody I know has access to them nowadays, so I have no idea how this kid got access to the steam tunnels, but he found out somehow that he had access. Um, so he assumed that he probably ran, ran away that way somehow. Deer had like several working theories, um, but the media was really hounding him to like narrow it down to a couple or to give them something. 
So he kind of just like on a whim gave them the only, like the least likely theory he could think of um, because he was like, they'll never really believe this, but it'll get the media off my back. So I'm not gonna, you know, worry about it. And he mentions that he had been playing D&D, Dungeons and Dragons in the steam tunnels with his friends. For some reason, he thought it was also a good idea to say that some players thought like got it in their head that they thought they were their character, which there's no foundation for why he said this or this theory, but whatever, he said it. And obviously this idea that this kid could be, you know, in these mysterious drafty tunnels playing this game about, you know, demons and dragons and warlocks and wizards and magic, like, was very sensational. So they ran with it. Like, they completely, like, blew this out of proportion, decided this must be why and how he, you know, went missing and whatever. While the media is talking about this, William Deere finds Egbert a month later in New Orleans. So he found him, and then there was a bit of a back and forth between New Orleans to Michigan. uh, Egbert goes back home to live with his uncle in Michigan, but his uncle's really like elderly and scared of the media attention that this is getting, so he secretly sends him back to New Orleans. But Egbert keeps in touch with William Deere, the detective, this whole time, confides in him about his drug use and his academic pressure, and eventually, unfortunately, his drug use does get worse, and Egbert eventually commit suicide in August of 1980, about a year after he originally went missing at 17 years old. Unfortunately, because the media pretty much only had one working theory and Deer and his family really tried to keep the rest of the story out of the media because James had a little brother that he didn't mm-hmm. want to be affected by this. The only one running theory that ever made it to the public until years later was the Dungeons and Dragons theory. So that is what got ramped way up. Unfortunately, this leads us to Mazes and Monsters. <laughs> Mazes and Monsters is a book that Rona, I think it's Jaff, but it could be Jaffe, wrote in 1981, which was based on the James Egbert case, which was then adapted into a made-for-TV movie in 1982. Um, it actually starred Tom Hanks as the main character. Yeah, We like right? Tom Hanks. Yeah, it starred him. He, it was his first dramatic role, I believe. He was Robbie Wheeling. It was a boy who, Robbie was this boy who got kicked out of his last university for taking Mazes and Monsters, this role-playing game, way too seriously. Um, his friends at his new school convince him to play again, and he starts to believe that it's real. Obviously, it's very hard to attribute you know, the rise of satanic panic and particularly the rise of like anti-D&D mentality to one singular movie, especially a made-for-TV movie that premiered the same weekend as the Super Bowl. Like, (laughs) but you know, I mean, there's a reason we're still talking about it. It did have Tom Hanks in it. So, right. And then, you know, moving along with the D&D conspiracy, there was another young kid, Irving Pulling, who committed suicide in 1982. His mother blamed his obsession with Dungeons and Dragons, and she started bothered about Dungeons and Dragons, or BAD, which was an organization dedicated to kind of dismantling D&D. They ended up suing the company who, at the time, owned the rights to Dungeons and Dragons. It obviously didn't go anywhere, but it garnered a lot of media attention. So, you know, In hindsight, in retrospect, seeing my mother, who went to Michigan State University in 1983, right after this happened, panic about me playing Dungeons and Dragons at Michigan State University 
made a lot more sense after I did my research. But yeah, um, I think it was a very real fear for a lot of people, especially around the campus where it happened. Unfortunately, there was another young kid who went missing this year at Michigan State University. And I know for a fact, because I have friends and family members who go there, it affected them. You know, they had to worry about yeah. that. They thought about it a lot. And so I can imagine that when something tragic like that happened, very easy to blame the easiest thing. You want a reason. You want a reason why a thing happens. And so you just attribute it to the, the most likely cause or the most likely cause you can think of. It's interesting too, because these things garner national attention and people on the outside always have to slap something on there to explain it but it's the people within these communities who are affected yeah and they have to live with it it's hard because when i you know when i was doing my research about this the people that i kept thinking about the most were the people that like james played D D with because like can you imagine like someone knowing that you played D with this kid and now he's missing and they're blaming this game you played that immediately makes you the bad guy you know right and so, yeah. And especially since I was going to say something that I'm like, maybe I shouldn't say it. I'm going to edit this anyway. So you let me know if this is right or wrong. But especially at that time, if you're playing D&D, you don't have a lot of friends. Correct. Um. Yeah, absolutely. Uh. You know, D&D was not the cool person game, you know? I mean, the friends you had through it are very strong friends. Yeah. So you have great friends through it. But it's one of the, it's nerd culture in the 80s is not nerd culture today. Mm -mm. Nerdy was not cool in the 80s. It's not, it's not now where we have like, you know, representation because of things like podcasts or, you know, YouTube videos or whatever, where no matter where you fall and what your little niche is, you can find it on the internet. Couldn't then, you know, you had your small community if you were lucky, you found people in person that belonged to that community. And if you were not lucky, then you just were that person, you know? Yeah, I definitely think um, that story, it hits very close to home. I think for me, because of the fact that it was, you know, it took place, it happened somewhere that I also called home at one point, you know, MSU was yeah. a huge formative part of my life, still is a huge part of my life. And knowing that that happened there and knowing that an activity that now I consider to be, you know, something that's close to my heart, Dungeons and Dragons, um, was kind of like the villainization of that started, like had its origins at that university is so wild. And so like something that hurts my heart a lot. So I know we'll come back to Dungeons and Dragons later in this podcast because of a fairly popular horror IP. I have no idea who you could possibly be talking about or what you could possibly be talking about. As always, I'm talking about Jurassic Park. But (laughs) uh, (laughs) you need like um, a button. You need like a button for your like weekly Jurassic Park reference. Like you gotta make sure you squeeze it in there. I have a tally. I have a tally. Uh, so Jurassic Park's done, Scream's done. We just need the um the giant shark movie to come up at some point, and then I got my three. Great, I'll make sure to mention it somehow. Yeah, <laughs> but from Dungeons and Dragons, where do we go next in our Satanic Panic journey? After you know, post this Dungeons and Dragons, this happens early '80s. It kind of all comes to a head in 1985. 
right? Um, you know, satanic panic starts to really kind of reach this very like peak with, you know, horror movies coming out with all of these like news stories about these random cults that like, you know, have nothing to do with anything and aren't actually substantiated in any proof. We get to the mid 80s. And again, I, I keep bringing this up, but I think that Satanic Panic was just really a way for people to reason with the way that the world was changing, especially with things like stranger danger and like, you know, growing really fearful of like the people that are around you, you now no longer can trust your neighbors, right? Uh, we've all heard, or at least I grew up hearing, you know, like, make sure we check your Halloween candy before you eat it. There could be razor blades in it. That's all, that all started in the 80s. That started here. And so again, you just, you need someone to blame and you blame the devil. <laughs> so all of this kind of comes to a head in the mid 80s with all of these trials and lawsuits of different, you know, metal groups like Wasp and um, Motley Crue and, you know, all of these people being like, we don't want X band or whatever to play in our city. We don't want X movie to play in our home theater. All of this kind of comes to a head. And then strangely enough, toward the late 80s, early 90s, it all just kind of disappears. Um, and I'll, I'll get to why that doesn't actually happen. But all of a sudden, all of these like news articles are being published about like satanic panic. Is it real? Isn't that weird that we all like thought it was real for a really long time? And we all just kind of like freaked out for a decade. And it's very you know, strange how it all kind of just like came to a head and then nothing came of it, the last part of the 80s. Um, and I think a lot of people falsely thought that, oh, it's over and nothing that bad happened, which kind of leads us to the West Memphis Three. Despite the fact that everyone says, okay, satanic panic is dead. We're not, we're not doing that anymore. We get to the West Memphis Three. Um, who are these three teenage boys, Damian Eccles, Jesse Muskelly Jr., and Jason Baldwin, who are accused of murder of young, of three young boys in 1994. These murders were very gruesome. They were very violent, and they were attributed to satanic worship, once again. You would think that by 1994, after the decade of satanic panic and this hysteria, we would have learned, hey, maybe we should have evidence for this. <laughs> there was no evidence. It was all circumstantial. All of these boys were, you know, metalhead nerds who just happened to be friends and looked very weird. And it was very circumstantial. And it's just, it's very hard to watch the trial or not like watch the trial, but like read the news articles about the trial because it's very obvious that they're trying to paint these young boys as villains. And they ended up getting different sentences, but um, Damien Eccles got um, the death penalty. Jesse Skelly Jr. got life without parole, I believe, and or life with parole and Jason Baldwin got 20 years without parole. Luckily, in 2007, new DNA um, technology proved that they 
never were near these bodies. They were never near these kids. Um, and they were let let go. But that's 13 years. You know, yeah. I think Damien Eccles was either 15 or 16 when he went in. And, you know, 13 years later, that's the rest of your teens. That's your 20s. It's hard to kind of reconcile with that. And Damien Eccles actually very publicly still fights for more DNA evidence to exonerate himself and his friends because people still don't believe him. Um, Like his life and his reputation are ruined. There's a documentary about it called Paradise Lost. And here's the segue. Damien Eccles is the main inspiration for the Duffer Brothers to create Eddie Munson in season four of Stranger Things. That's right, guys. This is a Stranger Things episode. (laughs) We're here. We arrived. Surprise! (laughs) Yeah. But um, I think this is like the perfect time to talk about satanic panic because we have, you and I have, I assume most of the people listening have watched the new season of Stranger Things and we watched this new character. Spoiler alert, in case you haven't watched through all of season four yet, I just want to make sure. Yeah, for sure. There will be Stranger Things spoilers throughout and i don't know maybe some Candyman spoilers too Uh, something will come up (laughs) uh but we watch this character you know we get the inception of this character who's this metalhead DD playing you know nerd like you know go through getting accused of satanic worship and ritual sacrifice and murder despite the fact that he does not do any of those things there's the spoiler. It's interesting to watch because, you know, when you're creating a fictional character, when you have this inception of this fictional character, obviously, you know, they go through the opening scene that we see Eddie in. He's, you know, on the table. He's doing the devil horns. He's, you know, like going kind of crazy. We hear him mention like D&D. We see him with his battle jacket on. He's very stereotypical, but then because he's a fictional character, we also get the opportunity to see him when he is not like putting on a show. So we get to see him in another scene, you know, comforting this girl who's obviously very distressed. Um, And like, he becomes this three-dimensional person. Um, And I think that was cool to see because he represents a lot of those kids who were very judged even now but particularly back then when like I said there was no internet to find a community if you couldn't find one in real life so to to watch this character be given humanity and then still be judged by the you know mainstream population of the town is hard but I think it was a very reminiscent to real life story and they continue that thread throughout the season too Cause that's when I don't remember, I don't remember his name, but the jackass, what's his name? Jason. Yeah. Yeah. Not like, not like our boy Voorhees, but like, no. we're going to call him D bag Jason. Um, <laughs> he doesn't know what's going on. And I, you know, I can understand that. I can see where he's coming from, but he just jumps to conclusion to conclusion. And he gets the whole town on a manhunt for Eddie Munson. And they use Dungeons and Dragons as the, and I, I get it when the, when the people kind of like find out what's happening and like, especially remind me, does D-Bag Jason see what happened to Chrissy? No, he, I don't believe he does. I think he just like knows that she was found at his trailer. Like, 
if he were to see the body, then it's like, yeah, that's some Satan shit. Yeah. <laughs> Vecna fair. don't play. He does see he does see his other friends get killed. The other kid on the back. That's right. So that's where the Satan thing comes in. But the fact that he just assumes it's Eddie because Eddie's different, I think kind of illustrates how people they just gravitate towards the first thing they can and then they just stay on that. And they can be shown all the proof that hey, you might be wrong, but people are stubborn. And they already made up their mind. And you see it today with a bunch of different things. You could show people all the proof about X, Y, and Z. And they will just go and Google articles that reaffirm their frankly wrong point of view on certain subjects. Yeah, definitely. They, you know, it's that confirmation bias. As soon as they find one person who agrees with them, it doesn't matter how much evidence you show them. It doesn't matter how much logic you throw at them. They've found their person. That's all they need. They don't care about anything else. And that's, I think, also why this season was so relevant to today. And honestly, you know, the show in general does a really good job of obviously like pairing 80s nostalgia with very relevant topics that that still ring true because I think at at its essence, the show is about human nature um, and human nature is to want to find explanations for things. And even if we find the wrong explanation for it, we stick with it. Right. (laughs) The Hamarsha of human, humankind. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to mention how even in death, Eddie is still blamed by the town. I mean, I, I've already told you this in private, but um, Eddie's such a such a special character to me. He, I really like, you know, held on to him fast because of all of the things that we had in common, you know, mm-hmm. people. But um, the scene at the end with Dustin and Wayne Munson, Eddie's uncle, is one of the most heartbreaking scenes, honestly, of the whole show for me. I think watching Wayne take down the vandalized poster and put up the new missing poster. It's so, it's just, first of all, even just that, if they had just done that, it would have been heartbreaking. But then to have, you know, Dustin talk to him about, hey, he's gone, but, you know, he was a hero. He fought for this town was so, I think, I think that was really cathartic, but it's also really tragic because the only people who will ever know are the people who know about the Upside Down and now Wayne, because Wayne always believed in his nephew and that's it. And the rest of the town still believes that Eddie did all of those terrible things. Well, Dustin says something along the lines, like, if only they knew him, they would have loved him. Yeah. But people don't want to, they don't want to take that extra step sometimes in trying to get to know someone who's different from them. And I think it, you know, it speaks, obviously, there's a larger metaphor. It's not just, you know, the D&D playing metalheads with the world. It's also, right. the, you know you know, it's also gay and trans people, it's people of color, it's, you know, neurodivergent people, it's anybody who is different from the societal norm gets put through this at least once in their life, you know, they get put through this idea that they are different, and they have the knowledge that they are different, and there's always going to be somebody who doesn't want to take the time to care about you as a person, because they see you as that archetype. Right. Yeah. And I think that's why so many people identify, not just with Eddie, but like with, you know, all of these types of counterculture, they, they find these niches, they find, you know, D&D groups, and they find 
the metal community and they find anything that is different and they cling to it because they're finding other people who know what it is like to be different and know what it's like to be weird. And that makes that community special. And I think, well, Stranger Things is a mainstream show. It like it is probably Netflix's Star Wars. Yeah. Stranger Things is a horror show and its main characters are the counterculture. Mm-hmm. Mike, Dustin, Lucas, and Will are all Dungeon and Dragon playing dweeps, to mm-hmm. say it nicely. Yeah. <laughs> Max shows up to Halloween in a Michael Myers mask. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, and even like the popular kids, they don't stay popular. Like, I mean, look at Steve. He, you know, kind of goes from like the king of the school to like, his best the king friends. of my heart the king of my heart but you know <laughs> his best friends are like a lesbian who he had a crush on at one point and his ex-girlfriend and 14 year old children so right like that's i love that for him i love that personal journey but like it is interesting to see how this idea that like if you're gonna have a popular character in the show they don't really stay popular for long because they you know the Duffer brothers and, and the writers of the show want these kids to be relatable to people who haven't found a lot of people to relate to. So I think that's, I think that's cool. And I think that's special. I think most of us feel like we're misfits or we're the odd one now, like Lucas. And I love this in the show. Lucas is a dweeb. I love Mm -hmm. him. He's actually one of my favorites. He might be my favorite of like the core group of boys, Mm -hmm. but he's athletic. Now he's on the sports team. He hits a game winning shot. He achieves the popularity, yet he knows it's not real. He's still an outcast at heart. Well, and, you know, the one thing that I will say about Lucas, and I think they did him so dirty at the beginning of the season, is the one thing that I will say, and, like, this is me saying this as an Eddie Munson apologist. It was wild to me how they were, like, it wasn't even like Lucas like abandoned his friend group and was like, I'm never doing the nerd stuff again. It was him being like, hey, friends, can you postpone our game that I would also like to be a part of one day? Because I cannot go and personally talk to the athletic department about like postponing the high school basketball game. So if you could come support me and then we'll play tomorrow. And then the 20 year old man who failed high school three times was like, no, and threw a bitch fit about it. That was, he he got done dirty. That's all I'm going to say. A lot of people have that, like, especially in high school, they're torn between different groups. Yeah. Because when you're in high school, you have to be one thing, maybe two, if you, you know, hate sleeping, but (laughs) it's really not cool. (laughs) yeah while we're talking about this this is kind of a non sequitur but it because i have to mention it because it is a movie podcast i think like the framing of the scene the basketball and DD scene is my favorite scene in stranger things ever oh like oh like the editing like the cross like going back and forth between like the game winning shot and the the critical hit and like the sinclair siblings man it was so good and like as somebody who's like a basketball fan and loves D&D, it just like made me so emotional the whole time. So I just love how the Sinclair siblings both got the game winning shot, like buzzer beating game winning shot in their respective games. 
because yeah. they're both winners. I, I love Lucas. I love Eric. I mean, I love a lot of the Stranger Things characters. But before we transition fully into Stranger Things, <laughs> where else do we want to go with in a satanic panic? I think realistically, and this kind of does have to do with Stranger Things, but I think realistically, the big thing that like I want to mention is that I don't think that satanic panic is dead. I think that, and we've talked about this, we've touched on this, Mm-hmm. Um, but like with the, the way that people will just like believe misinformation so readily these, these days, and especially because it's so readily available for us these days. And the unfortunate thing is, is if anybody knew how to do any amount of research, which this is me being an English teacher and being like, please do any amount of research <laughs> and find reliable sources for all of your like facts, we wouldn't be in this situation because we have more reliable information at our fingertips than we've ever had in our life. But because the bullshit outweighs the reliable stuff, that's what comes up first. Um, And so I think that just that in general is indicative of the fact that satanic panic never fully went away. Um, And I think that, you know, a big prime example of this is the Montero music video uh, by Lil Nas X, which if you watch interviews of Lil Nas X talking about this music video, which if you haven't seen it, it is a music video that has Lil Nas X doing some explicit things with the devil. It's there. It's there for shock value, for sure. But, you know, he talks about how, like, a bunch of people told him he was going to hell for being gay, so he thought he might as well have fun with it, make it into a joke, which I think is very similar to what a lot of the metal heads of the 80s were doing. Like, they were like, yeah. fine, you're going to tell me I'm going to hell for liking the music that I like? I'll play that up, like, whatever. And so, but immediately, even though in his own words, that wasn't what he was doing, it was immediately, oh, he sold his soul to the devil, he's part of the Illuminati, like all of these legitimate things that people were saying and like not being serious about it was very strange. That is where if, if anybody can take anything away from like learning about the satanic panic, I would just say like, do your own research, form your own conclusions, don't just like listen to what one person is saying about a particular group of people or a person because they're a part of a group of whatever, you know, I don't know. That's, that's the moral of the story here. <laughs> and I just, I just want to add a little asterisk to that. Do your own research does not mean you find a couple of Google articles confirming right. what you think to be true. Doing your own research often involves you being like, huh, I was wrong about that. Wow. Things are changing. Because that's what research is. Things are always changing. And it's just so infuriating. Yeah. Do you know doing your own research involves generally in matters of like humanitarian efforts, talking to real actual people, which is something people do not want to do these days. And that's, I get it. But like, if you talked to people and talked to them and learned about them as humans, instead of as this archetype that you put them in, you'd probably learn that they're like not creepy or weird or satanic. Right. Generally. Maybe. I mean, like, I'm not going to say that never happens. I'm just going to say like, maybe, probably. And like, it, it affects so many people too. I think that is what, um, 
you know, is so interesting about the West Memphis Three case is that didn't happen until years after satanic panic ended, supposedly, you know, but it still obviously had lasting and very real impacts. Like it was not a funny joke. It wasn't a incensed person who's mad because little Timmy down the street is wearing a skull patch on his jacket. It's real kids who got in real trouble and lost their childhood because of like the type of person they were. And I think that, you know, if we're not careful, and I, I don't even want to say that because it's happening, like it's, it happens in real time today. If we are not doing that research and we are not making an effort to see people as humans, then we are not doing them a good service and we will end up back there again. If we're not already there. Exactly. And with, like those three, it wasn't even a judgment of their character. It was a judgment of the music they liked. You're right. We you you still see it. You still see it today. It may not be satanic panic, so to speak, but the fear of the other is still there. I think that is why I am so glad that we do have these little communities online where, you know, people do find people like themselves and they can learn very easily, "Hey, I'm not weird for liking this thing or acting this way because other people do it and you know it's not just me because I know that when I was growing up I felt weird like 90% of the time and that's like a low number (laughs) so knowing (laughs) that there were people out there like me that were also weird in the same ways that I was weird was important and invaluable and so like that is one thing that I will say for the modern age that I'm I'm glad we have communities that we can build so much more easily than we ever could. Yeah, and I I agree with that. And you can meet people all around the world. You're not just confined to your hometown. So speaking of hometowns, Hawkins, Indiana. (laughs) And we're back. (laughs) And we are back. Mental side note, we you should come back at some point so we can look at the we can further dive into the relationship between horror and metal. I would love that. I mean Black Sabbath we obviously touched on, but like but we gotta so talk about more. Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three, Dream Warriors, Freddy Krueger and Dokken. Like mm-hmm. they literally came together. Yeah. There's so. there's so much that you can dive into between the two and like even today, they borrow aesthetics from each other all the time. Like they always are, you know, it's it's a very reciprocal relationship. And I think that's really like beautiful and cool. Like Slipknot. <laughs> yes. And then I think the ultimate fusion of heavy metal and horror films is Rob Zombie. Totally agree. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I think I said this in an earlier episode. I am a Rob Zombie fan who does not necessarily like Rob Zombie movies, yet I will go see every Rob Zombie movie. <laughs> I think that's super fair. They, they, they are not my style. They are not the vibe, but I appreciate them. And I think he's an important voice that I want to support. I also like his music. So I'm a Rob Zombie fan. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love his music. I think he's also hilarious. I will say... I also, somebody who is also, I think, a really good example, I wouldn't say he's a good example of like the fusion of horror and metal, but somebody who I think makes, has a lot of cameos in movies, and also like his stage shows in and of themselves are almost horror movies, is Alice Cooper. 
He was in a Freddy movie. That's true. He was in a Freddy movie. There's a reason that he's known as the godfather of shock rock. Like his, right. you know, his shows are huge shows. Like they're, they're shows. They're not just like concerts. And there's a reason that he's like known as that. I, I, I really like Alice Cooper. I, yes. I love his music. Me too. That type of theatrical, like metal musician, like Rob Zombie and Alex Cooper are so they're so cool because they're like really one of the things that I think metal is about is like the show it's about the stage presence that's why you have bands like Botley Crew and, and Kiss doing the makeup and the heavy like jewelry and and leather all over and I think that's also kind of like ties back into what we said about horror comedies that like it makes you laugh and it also kind of creeps you out. And like, that's the best type of like vibe to go into anything with. Oh yeah, for sure. And horror and metal still go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Our boy Eddie Munson proving that. True, always. To the point where legitimate metal bands like Titans of the genre are embracing Stranger Things. Because I saw a post from Iron Maiden they posted that meme of him going this yeah. is music with the cassette and being like we agree eddie and I was it, like, right and i'm like damn straight <laughs> and I, I also i have to say i think it's really cool how like metallica was immediately like embracing all these new fans like the moment somebody was like oh this is so stupid that so many people like master of puppets because of eddie they were like excuse me actually <laughs> We think it's pretty cool. And I saw a TikTok of them all wearing Hellfire Club shirts. Mm -hmm. And it was like a play along with Eddie TikTok that Netflix tried to do. And Metallica's like game to play along to their own song. And they're embracing that one, they're getting a whole generation of new fans, which is pretty easy for them. They have a guitar hero. Um, they're at every sport. Like Enter Sandman plays at every sport event ever. Mm -hmm. But... They just embrace that and they're true metal heads in which they are inclusive. Like, I think that's why so many people are drawn to the metal community is because, okay, you have your gatekeepers, sure, but they are the vast minority. Yeah, they're loud, Most, but they're the vast minority. Kind of like a microcosm of United States. Anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> you said it, I didn't. Like I've I've known so many metalheads that have just been the kindest, most welcoming, sometimes scary, but um, because like I'm not gonna lie, I've seen people with like black contact lenses, and I'm like, huh, that's a little scary. But they're like the sweetest person. You know, some of the most friendly, helpful people are people that you see that look like some kind of alternative subculture type of type of way. And right. metalheads are no exception. Exactly. Right. But yeah, I, I love how Metallica is very welcoming of the Stranger Things arrival and like Iron Maiden, too. And I'm sure there are other bands that are just like they're trying to I mean, sure, money, but <laughs> yeah. I hope more movies are able to get like these licenses because it is not easy to get a meta to license Metallica. Mm -mm. They're expensive. 
I think you have to be somebody who like, like you have to be somebody who's very like genuinely passionate about Metallica and you have to like prove to them that like you're going to use their song in good faith, I guess. So. Or you have a truck full of money. Well, Either yeah. or could have been the case. Or and both. Stranger <laughs> Things definitely does. So <laughs> it was probably a little bit of a... But like Zeppelin is the same way. Mm-hmm. And School of Rock used Immigrant Song to great effect. So did mm-hmm. Thor Ragnarok. And Zeppelin is notoriously... St- because of School of Rock, I think they're less stingy. Mm-hmm. To license their music. And I get it. You don't want your song appearing in some trash. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's really interesting because musicians are so protective of their music in general. It is really interesting to watch any musician of any genre, which projects they will allow their music to be. (laughs) I hope more musicians kind of like, hey, this movie's definitely not my cup of tea. But what's trash to me might be treasure to someone else. And I may get a new fan. Yeah, I do think that because Eddie's character is so like music based, like that's one of his main characteristics. Um, it is like a lot more risky almost to put your music because it's not even like it's not just like it's in the background. It's the same thing with Kate Bush this season, honestly. Right. Like these songs that are not just like in the background of these shots but are like a part of the plot because you know Eddie playing in the upside down that's part of the plot the cassette tape being like Max's saving grace part of the plot that's almost a riskier move than just like hey can we use your song in the background of the scene so it is really interesting to see like those kind of uh projects happen where the song is integral to the plot and I love when songs can be used like that you know Mm -hmm. I think one of my favorite scenes in a horror movie, if you count this, is the scene where Hip to be Square by Huey Lewis and the News is playing in the background of American Psycho. Wait, Um, wait, wait. I'm sorry. I do not mean to interrupt you. Who the fuck doesn't count American Psycho as horror? No, I didn't mean it like that. I meant like, I don't know if you count this as like music being integral to the plot because it's not really except for the fact that Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I was about to go. I was about to rant. No. I was uh, about to go off. <laughs> it's the scene where he kills Jared Leto's character. Yeah. Um, but he does Spoiler talk alert about for... how Huey Lewis in the News is one of his favorite music groups. So I always think it's really funny. Before we started the podcast, I did not put talking about American Psycho on my podcast bingo card. So if you thought, <laughs> if you're listening and you're like, American Psycho is going to come up. Claps for you. But, <laughs> yeah, that uh, was on your bingo card. You win. You win a nice, crispy thumbs up from yours truly. <laughs> I think that Huey Lewis song, what, what song was it again? Hip to be square. Thank you. I was about to say the power of love, and I'm like, that's back to the future. <laughs> back to the future. Another one for the bingo card. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, because in American Psycho, and to be fair, I've not seen this film in a few years, but Christian Bale's character is like this obsessive, all about his aesthetic and appearance, especially yeah. like he's so insecure. So to me, as he's going on and on and on about this album, that's his character. Like that mm-hmm. is like one, he's boring, Morbius to death. 
so Batman could <laughs> eat him with uh, X. But I, I think he truly believes every word that he's saying because he's that type of person where he is so self-absorbed. His opinion is fact. Yes, absolutely. We brought it full circle. People who think their opinions are facts, satanic panic, we did it, everybody. What's his, Patrick Bateman? Yeah, that's his character's yeah. name. Patrick mm-hmm. Bateman's a type of guy that would buy it into all the satanic panic, not realizing he is a panic. He is the panic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He would go around, if we got a, like an American Psycho like sequel, he would go around killing metalheads. Like that would just be the sequel. He'd be there like, "There is an American Psycho sequel." Yeah, but with it was Mila bad. Kunis. Yeah, but it was bad though. Is the thing. So we don't. Have there is at least it. one person out there that that's their favorite movie. I'm sorry to that one person. I doubt they're listening to this podcast. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I, I You're hate probably right, and I shouldn't make fun of it because I did mention like a. Several made for TV movie movies today, but um, and they're all probably bad. Hey, <laughs> but it, it's weird because it's like I hate saying a movie's bad. No, I'm with you, yeah. Because who am I to say what you know what I mean? Because it's art, right? But sometimes a movie's bad, like that movie's sometimes not well made. Bad. And you know what? Sometimes a movie is bad, and I still love it. One of exactly, my favorite right. movies right now is also one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And that's fine. And then it goes the other way where it's like, sometimes a movie's fine, but a bunch of people think it's the greatest thing ever. And it's just like, I kind of want to trash it, even though that's unfair to the movie because the movie itself is fine. But yeah, I think we should wrap it up a little bit. The titular question of Would You Die, which I forgot in last week's episode. Oops. That's awkward. You gotta have them back. I do. Anyways, we can't really do it today. I think that would be in poor taste. (laughs) So I'm altering the deal. Pray I do not alter it any further. Boom. I fit Star Wars into this bitch. Um, I'm changing it from Satanic Panic to Stranger Things. Okay. But I'm not going to ask you about Vecna. Okay. I don't know if Vecna, I mean, I that's the easy answer, but I think there's a better fit for Satanic Panic okay. than Vecna. And I, I love Vecna. I hope someone offers Vecna to me at some point. I would love to talk about Vecna or just Stranger Things mm-hmm. again. It's one of my, it's like a top five show for me. But I am going to present you with the Demogorgon. Oh. And the reason why I think it's a better fit is because it's straight up from Dungeons and Dragons. It's true. I, hmm, here's the thing, okay? I personally, Lisa Petersmark, would not, would definitely die against yeah. the Devil Morgan. However, my elven fighter, Lilith, she would kick the Devil Morgan's ass, my D&D character, for sure, in any universe. I love that answer. Thank you. I would not survive an encounter with the Demogorgon. <laughs> The only way I would survive an encounter with a Demogorgon is if I get straight up tackled, I die for three seasons, and then I inexplicably come back in season four. That's the only way I would survive a Demogorgon. Basically, Xenomorphs mixed with Audrey 2. That's such a funny way to describe the Demogorgon. (laughs) 
So yeah, the Demogorgon. We we would not survive if you're listening. You you probably wouldn't either. I usually don't say that to the audience. But what do you think? Do you think you'll survive a Demogorgon? Let me know. Give me that engagement, homies. Thank you for taking us through the journey of Satanic Panic. Before we go our separate ways, I just wanted to know if there's anything like anything you want to share. Um, now's the time to share any, any way you want it. Well, you need it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm at Lisa Pete on Twitter, L-I-E-S-E-P-E-T-E. I pretty much just tweet about my favorite shows and movies and music and also teaching because I am a high school English teacher. It's not the most compelling stuff, but if you're interested, you can follow me there. Um, other than that, here's what I want to plug. Do your own research. Uh, be good <laughs> humans. That's it. I love it. All right. It was so fun having you. Everyone listening, if you'd rather Lisa and I, next time she's on the show, talk about horror and metal more in depth or just blast through Stephen King, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thanks again to Lisa for joining me and taking me through a brief history of satanic panic. Obviously, there is still a lot more to learn and kind of dive into on this topic, but I think we did a pretty good job considering it was just like about an hour talk and a lot of it was dominated by Stranger Things. But yeah, this was fun. It's interesting because satanic panic's all of a sudden trending on Twitter. I think a lot of reasons are for that, but yeah very interesting was not planning on that when we decided to do this episode now it's time for my newest segment i know what austin watched last week in which i tell y'all about a horror movie i watched since uh, the last episode so last episode talked about joe dante's piranha and today i'm going to talk about jordan peele's nope which came out last week. Don't worry, this is going to be spoiler-free, so if you haven't seen it already, you don't have to turn off the episode or anything like that. I love this movie. I absolutely loved it. I saw it twice already, and I already have plans to see it a few more times. This film was made for the big screen, and it feels like the big original summer blockbuster that honestly we just haven't seen in a long time maybe inception that's that's the first one i can think of what i love most about it is while it undeniably wears its steven spielberg and john carpenter influences on its sleeves it is such a jordan peele like it feels like jordan peele it doesn't feel like spielberg and while it's not as overt as Get Out or Us in its subtext or social commentary, this film kind of plays more like a overall crowd pleaser than those two films. But it's still, it just feels like Jordan Peele. Like you watch this movie and you're like, oh yeah, that feels like Jordan Peele. It's incredibly well shot with great performances from a great cast. And I cannot praise the sound design and musical score enough. Sonically, this film is jaw-dropping. Jordan Peele is definitely becoming a master of the filmmaking craft. And I'll say it, 
I think it's time to give him his Master of Horror card if he hasn't already earned it. There really aren't any bad things I can say about this film. However, I have to say this this movie will not work for everyone. There are plot lines that, while they are very necessary for both character and thematic development, they don't really impact or tie into the A plot line in a satisfying way. And I think a lot of people are not going to dig that. I find that a lot of audiences are plot first watchers and and they are more critical when plot elements don't work as well as say thematic or character elements, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just like a matter of taste. But if you don't like films that leave some things unanswered, there's a good chance you might not like this film. That's fine. And there are, and there are, with every movie, there are other valid reasons why one wouldn't like a certain movie or not. But that's the main reason I can think of for nope. But I really do recommend everyone go see this movie, make your own opinions about it, talk to your friends about it, and discuss what you think it means, or what worked or didn't work for you. Because that's fun. Have fun. Talk about movies that are that mean different things to different people and then you might gain it even if you don't like it if you talk to someone who loved it you might gain an appreciation for it and I, I think that that's cool last thing I'll say about this film is it's bananas I can't wait to see it again it's it really is an instant favorite of mine in other horror news the trailer for the sequel to X Pearl just came out and it looks awesome I'm very excited for that. I loved X. Pearl looks bonkers. Can't wait. I also heard that Evil Dead Rise was getting theatrical consideration because it's had very good reactions and test screening so far. That's awesome. I would love to see it on the big screen. It would be my first Evil Dead film that I would see in a theater. So I hope that happens. If only they did the same thing for Prey. I... Ugh. I still can't believe how Disney spent all that money on 20th Century Fox just to mismanage one of their biggest properties. Great for Hulu, but the fact that we can't go see a Predator movie in theaters is just horrendous. It's awful for Predator fans, and honestly, it's just awful for movie lovers. Such a poor decision. I mean, I'm still going to see it 98 times on Hulu, so I guess I'm not helping, but it's I really wish we can see this film in theaters. As always, you can find the show social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Would You Die Show. You can find the Would You Die YouTube show on the Three Wise Men Media YouTube channel, where you can find professional wrestling, trailer reviews, and much, much more. The music you hear in the beginning and end of each episode is composed by my friend Josie Palmer. Next week, not sure what's happening next week. I have a bunch of interviews lined up. I already did one. And it just kind of depends which one I release next week. So I kind of have a clue. I kind of don't. But until then, I'm Austin Torres. Try not to die.